Last week was our uh, Foursquare, which is the, the, the organization that we're a part of. They're like our covering. We call, it, we call ourselves an interdenominational organization because we really believe in the unity of the body of Christ. And um, so we, have this, we had this conference in Nashville, and it was such an encouraging time, such an inspiring time. Um, uh, one of the ladies that led worship there was a gal that I had gone to Israel with, so that was really exciting. And then also, we had Jesus Culture lead us into God's presence, which was just so powerful and so amazing. And um, and it was really, it, it, some of the speakers were just so impactful and, and really profound. We had a guy named Bishop Kenneth, or uh, Keith Ulmer, who uh, talked about a time when he said that he was at this airport waiting for a ride, and he and he said like about fifty times he's like, "I hate to wait, I hate to wait." Well, he arrived to, for the speaking engagement, and he literally said he was waiting for over an hour for the guy that was supposed to pick him up, and he just said he was so confused and he just was so frustrated. So after an hour, finally, this guy comes up to him, and he goes are you Bishop Ulmer? And he said, yes. And he said, well, I was sent to pick you up, but they gave me a picture of you and you don't look like your picture. And his whole message was, we need to, as the church, we need to look like our picture. You know, Jesus has given us his his blueprint. He's given us the picture of what he wants his church to look like. And so his encouragement was, we need to start looking like that picture. Um, And then there was a young man named Phil Manginelli who pastors in Atlanta, and he talked about the importance of the presence of God as opposed to significance, or having God say, well done, good and faithful servant. A guy named Pete Scazzaro, anybody know that name? He's the guy who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. There was a young lady named Chanda Crutcher who did a message called, Who's Your Daddy? And that was all on um, the fatherhood of God, which was super powerful. Um, There was a a gal there named Lisa Bevere. Have have any of you heard of Lisa Bevere? Yeah, so so I I was honored to be able to give a little quick talk. Uh, And so she and I were speaking on the same night, so we were back in the green room. And so I was just joking around with her, and I said, so... I said, so Lisa, Jesus told me that I'm supposed to talk for two hours, so you're just going to have to deal with that. And she just started laughing. She goes, that's fine. I'll just do an interpretive dance behind you. She was really, she was really, really cute. She was so powerful. She gave a really amazing message on how, how God created the two genders to work together, and it was really powerful. And then there was a young man um, named Russell Joyce, and this story was, was just so impactful. He was a young man, and at birth, he said his parents went immediately from the elation of birth to the devastation of all of these things that were wrong with him. He was born without a jawbone on his left side. He was born without an ear. He had all kinds of heart problems, and he said that the doctors kept coming in every few minutes with another bad report, and he said eventually they they came in and they just sat and cried because it was so bad. And he was talking about, you know, how he had multiple surgeries to repair his face and they had constructed this ear and they had taken one of his ribs and, and made a jawbone for him. And he said that when he got married, um, at, at one point, and he, he prefaced it, he said, this is a little PG 13, but he said he and his wife were making out and, um, and she started to kiss the left side of his face 
which was the face that, that had been really worked on. And, and he, he said that he just, this anger rose up in him. He was just so mad at her. How could she do this? And he pulled away and he said, don't do that. Or she said, she said, don't do that when he pulled away. And he goes, that's the last thing you want to hear, you know, when you're with your wife. She goes, every time I try to kiss you on the left side, you pull away. And he compared that to how we are with the Lord, that whenever we sin or whenever we feel we're not living up to what we're supposed to, we pull away from the Lord. That we, don't, we only want to present our right side to the Lord. We only want to present our successes. And, and, and his, his wife just looked at him and she said, do you think I don't know you? She said, all of this on the left side is what makes you who you are. She said, I love all of you. It was just the most amazing message. Uh, I would suggest, if you want, you can go on foursquare.org and you can kind of navigate through that and you can watch some of these teachings um, or go to Vimeo and just put in Foursquare Connection 2019. Um, And then the last session was a guy named Banning Liebscher. He's the pastor at Jesus Culture in Sacramento. And he talked about how when we're in the presence of God, that we're wrecked for anything else, that anything less than God's presence is not good enough. And he compared it to, he said one time he was honored to be able to fly internationally first class. And he said, you know, once you fly first class, he said, you're forever ruined. You're forever wrecked for for economy. And then he said, so then, so he flew and it was just this amazing experience. And then, and then he said, then the next time he flew, he had to go economy. And he said, but then they make you walk through first class. And he says, as I'm walking through first class, I'm like, you're my people. You're my people. He says, and I, he got to economy, he's looking at them and he's like, you're not my people. Those are my people up there. Hey, that guy's eating my Sunday. He was really funny, but it was a really powerful message. And for me personally, it was such a confirmation because I really believed that at the beginning of the year, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said that we needed to contend for his presence through prayer. And that's really, that has been the direction that's been motivating us as a church and motivating me is, to, God, we want your presence. We want to be wrecked for anything else and crying out for that. Um, we also elected a new president. His name is Randy Remington. He's a really, really funny guy. Um, he's a really godly man. He's, he's a pastor and he's... Um, I'm looking forward to a bright future for Foursquare. What Foursquare means, Foursquare stands for Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Healer, Jesus the Baptizer with the Holy Spirit, and Jesus the King who is returning. That's what the Foursquare stands for. Um, It was really fun seeing a lot of people and and all of that, but there were a couple of things that that were really profound for me personally. I just want to share these with you because it really built my faith. Um... The first one was, uh, you know, a, a few months ago, I talked about healing. You know, we're going through the book of Mark and, and talking about Jesus walking around and, and healing and how we've kind of lost the faith that it's possible, that, that physical healings are not really, that we just don't see it. And, you know, I believe that God's word is true. I believe every single word of it, but yet even... Over the last several years, I've prayed for literally thousands of people to be healed, and it has very, very rarely happened. I mean, maybe three to five times that I've actually 
prayed and someone was healed of something. And so I think, you know, for me, it was, it was just, it was so, it was so, um, not discouraging, but just, I just want to see that. I want to see the miracles again. I want to see, you know, the the Bible promises that we are going to do the the things Jesus did and even greater things. And so it's like, you know, that's what I've been asking. Lord, I want to see, I want to see healing. I want to see you do the things that you do. And, um, a woman came up to me, a friend of mine from years ago, and she and her husband pastor in Nevada. And she came up to me and, um, a year ago, I saw them at the connection and she told me that her husband had just been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and they hadn't told anyone else. And they just told me and I said, please let me pray for you. And so I just prayed for this guy and, you know, kind of went about my day. Well, she came up to me this year and she, she whispered in my ear and she said, my husband was healed of Parkinson's. And I was just absolutely floored by that. And I was so, I was absolutely encouraged. And it was almost like the Lord was saying, I want you to believe again. I want you to believe again. I want you to believe that I still heal today, that I can still do miracles in your midst. And so I just want to encourage you, family, to be praying for that. Be asking, be asking the Lord to heal you. And I had someone else that just came up to me and said that, you know, when I prayed for them a few weeks ago, Jesus healed them. So can we believe again, family? Can we believe again that Jesus still wants to do the things that he does? So that was super encouraging and really affirming and confirming. And then another thing that was kind of interesting happened, and it was a it was at the very end, and I had a meeting after the last session. So I grabbed a sandwich, and I was sitting at this table, and there were these two boys there. There was a 13-year-old, and he had on like a um, kind of a skull cap, you know? And, he, and I looked at him, and I said, so tell me your life story. And so he started telling me about his parents. He said, yeah, my parents are pastors. They're pastors of pastors, and they're leaders, and they go around and minister to people. And, um, and I said, well, what about you? I said, tell me about you. I said, how are, how are you in Jesus? And he goes, mm, I'm not quite there yet. And I said, well, let's talk about that. I said, what, what's holding you back? And he goes, well, I just, I just, and I said, do you have shame? Is that what it is? And he said, yeah. And so I shared with him how he could pray and how he could confess his sins and receive the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus offered him on the cross. And I shared this with him. And I said, so so what is it? What's holding you back? And he said, it's the stuff I watch. And I said, so this is a 13-year-old. I said, so you're addicted to porn? He goes, yeah. He goes, and I have alopecia, which is where all of your hair falls out. And he said, and I think God's punishing me. And I just looked at him. I said, you know what? God is not like that. That is not the character of God. I said, and besides, if your hair all fell out because you're looking at porn, then all teenage boys would be bald. And many girls. <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was so it was so encouraging for me to be able to pray. I prayed with this young man and he received Jesus. 
and it just sparked something in me. It just reignited that desire to see the lost one for the kingdom of God. And, and you know, what we do here is really important. The Bible says that we need to gather together. We need to be together. We need to come together in the sanctuary. We need to worship together. We need to serve one another and pray for one another and forgive one another and all those things. That is so important. But I'll tell you one thing. When you walk out those doors... That is where the mission field starts. And there are so many broken people. 98% of this state does not know that they are going to heaven. 98%. So while I love church and I love doing this, I am so committed to taking the church out to the people just like Jesus did. Are you too? Can we start doing that? Can we start being the church among the people? Can we start looking like our picture? Can we? I just want to challenge you. It's like, you know, Jesus is the soon and coming king. He is coming back to judge the earth. He is coming back. I just want us to be ready. And I just want to ask you a question. Does the Lord forgive sin? Does the Lord forgive all sin? No. (laughs) Here's a Bible scholar. Did you know there is one sin that the Lord does not forgive. Now you're all thinking, it's probably the one that I do all the time, right? You're thinking, oh, it's this, or it's that, or it's this. And most people, I think, would probably assume it's got to be murder. That's got to be the one. That's, that's got to be the worst, right? But then you look in the Bible, you look, Moses, the guy that led the Israelites into the, well, he didn't actually get to go, but he was the one who led the Israelites up to the border of the promised land. He was the one God chose. He was a murderer. Did you know that? There was a time where he was like looking around. Nobody was looking. He murdered this Egyptian. Well, apparently somebody watched him do that. He was a murderer. I'm pretty sure God forgave him. Also, David, the man after God's own heart. He was not only an adulterer, but he was a murderer. Pretty sure David, the guy who wrote most of the Psalms and the guy who's the man after God's own heart, pretty sure God forgave him for that. Saul of Tarsus, the guy who persecuted Christians and murdered all these Christians, he thought he was doing it in the name of God. He, he says of himself he was a blasphemer. Do, do you think God forgave him? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure God forgave him. So, so what about Manasseh? In 2 Kings 16, or 21.6, I'm sorry, 2 Kings 21.6, it says Manasseh sacrificed his own baby in the fire to a false god, and yet later on, he repented and God forgave him. So I don't think it's murder, even murdering children, even your own children, sacrificing your own children. What about, lately, you know, there's all these um, documentaries and, and movies about a guy named Ted Bundy. You guys have heard of Ted Bundy? He confessed to over 30 murders. He murdered over 30 women. And yet, Dr. James Dobson, who started Focus on the Family, had the opportunity to to go into the prison and to lead Ted Bundy to Christ. I mean, there's an interview that he did with him. If you were standing in a human court, you would go, nope, that guy does not deserve forgiveness, wouldn't you? Isn't that kind of our standard, our measure of, nope, he does not deserve forgiveness? Yet, there is nothing that we can do, nothing that we can do 
that disqualifies us from heaven except one thing. And we're going to talk about that today. And we're also going to talk about division. So today we're talking about division and the unforgivable sin. So we're going to start um, in Mark chapter 3, starting with verse 20. At one time, Jesus entered the house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. Now, Jesus had been developing this reputation. Everybody wanted to be with Jesus. He was doing these miracles, healings, casting demons out and all of these things. And so people were really starting to throng to him and listen to him. It says, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. They said he's out of his mind, which some people think that what this is saying is that they were worried about him. They thought he's exhausted. He is going to have a breakdown. And so they were just trying to protect him. I don't know necessarily what that, what was really behind that, but, but in the interest of time, we're just going to move on and we're going to talk about the next section. So Jesus healed a blind man who was also mute. So he couldn't speak. So Jesus healed this guy in front of all these people. And it, it talks about this a little more extensively in Matthew 12. It says, but in verse 22, but the teachers of the religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, he, Jesus, he is possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan? He asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And we know this to be true, don't we? We've seen it happen. We've seen civil wars. We've seen businesses crumble. We've seen marriages crumble because there's division. There's unforgiveness. There's bitterness. There's resentment. Right? We've seen these things happen. Sports teams. Remember the feud between Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook? Anybody remember that? Any sports fans? Just me? Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. You know, sports teams that fall apart, companies that fall Countries, I mean, our own country was involved in the Civil War. And even Abraham Lincoln, he gave a speech which said, a house divided against itself will not stand. Incidentally, did you know that Abraham Lincoln, when he grew up, they had one book in their home and it was the Bible. He actually said that the Bible was the greatest gift God ever gave us. You know, and, um, and how many of you have ever heard of churches that have split? Divisions in churches? because of differences of opinion or bitterness or whatever it happens to be. And if a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. That's what Jesus said. And in verse 26, he says, if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. He says, let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. What he, was saying, what he is saying here essentially is that, that there's only one who is more powerful than Satan, and that is God himself. And so um, there were two men, uh, they were riding their bike. This is a few years ago. There was these two men, and they were riding their bike up this really, really, it was a bicycle built for two, a tandem bike. And as they rode up, they finally got to the top. It took them forever. And the guy in the front goes, man, oh, that was rough. The other guy goes, yeah, if I wouldn't have been putting the brakes on the whole time, we might have rolled backwards. <laughs> so what is the unforgivable sin? Don't say it. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. 
all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But, hear what he says here, all sin and blasphemy, even blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. It says, this is a sin you will not be forgiven here or in the hereafter. You will not be forgiven. Anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. And he told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. So here these Pharisees, these religious leaders are claiming that these things that the Holy Spirit was doing were of the devil. There are still people who do that today. There are still people who blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then it says in Proverbs 14, 1, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So ultimately, blasphemy is the highest form of foolishness, if you think of it. So is it possible, if you're a Christian, if you have named the name of Jesus, if you, if you have received the forgiveness Jesus offered on the cross, is it possible, have you ever blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Do you think that you have committed the unforgivable sin? Is it possible for a Christian to commit the unforgivable sin, the unpardonable sin? You know, my, my late husband at one point before he became a Christian, he went out in the backyard. He was really frustrated about a situation in his life and he went in the backyard and he goes, God, if you're real, F you. And he shook his fist at God. I'm pretty sure God forgave him. So do you think that he was guilty of the unpardonable sin? Is it possible for a Christian? How many think it's possible for a Christian to commit the unpardonable sin, the unforgivable sin? It says in the classic in the in the Greek language blasphemia means to defame, to speak evil of, a word of an evil omen, to revile, to curse, to defame, to despise, to discredit, scorn, slander, abuse, all these things. This is all kind of tied up in this one word, blasphemia. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time thing. Ultimately, what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, is an ongoing no to God. It's not that you just, you know, you question, well, I wonder if that was the Lord or not. If, some, if someone's healed, let's say, let's say there's a miracle and somebody receives healing. You're like, uh... I don't know. Or, you know, you, you hear someone say that God did this miracle and you're like, oh, I don't really know if that was a little. That is not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is an ongoing resistance to the truth. It's saying no to God. It's a consistent no, 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 no. It's a lifestyle. There is no coming back from it because what happens, it talks about in Romans how that God gives them over, it says, to a reprobate mind. It says that their consciences become so seared that they can't even turn back. They can't even repent. You know, even, even in the Bible, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And it also says that, that Pharaoh hardened his own heart because that's what, it's a, it's a constant resistance of the Lord. It's a, it's a resistance to humble yourself. And so a Christian cannot commit the unpardonable sin because if you wonder about it and if you're ever worried about it and you ever think, I wonder if I ever did that, that is your evidence that you haven't. Because you're saying, oh, 
I don't, I feel convicted. I don't want to do that. If you, if you sense that conviction, then that means you have not committed the unpardonable sin. It's saying, I don't want the things of God. No. So I do think, you know, there, there's a difference because, because the Bible does say that we as believers, if you believe in Jesus, it says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. And it is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. Our sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And, you know, recently I've been thinking about it, and there's all kinds of, you know, things that are sin, which is essentially just not being as perfect as God. It's, you know, the things that, are, that, that God doesn't want us to do because he knows that they don't bring us life. They bring us death. But recently I've been thinking there are two things, two sins that I think are rampant in the body of Christ that grieve the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about porn. I am talking about neglecting God's word. Not reading the Bible. Not knowing. This is the great promise. This is the truth that God has given us. And we just, eh, I don't really need that. I'm telling you, I, I... I could not have gone through the loss of my husband without the Bible. There is no possible way. You ask my, my kids, I become a psycho after about three days of not reading the Bible. I'm not even kidding. The Bible is my daily bread. And I just, I, I feel like the Lord is grieved when it just sits there collecting dust and I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. I'm just trying to say, I believe this grieves the Holy Spirit. And another thing, I, another thing I think that grieves the Holy Spirit is when we don't give him thanks. You know, this is kind of a, a theme for me this week. Um, as, I was, as I was reading the other morning, this scripture... Okay, so this is... When I sit down to read the Bible, I say, Lord, speak to me. Speak something to me. And I ask the Lord and then I read and I wait until like the one thing pops out at me. And this is the thing that popped out at me. This verse was in Psalm 50, verse 23. Please listen closely. Giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. This is the Lord speaking. Giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. And you know, I think it's in those times when we least feel like giving thanks that that's when that sacrifice really honors the Lord and pleases the Lord. And it says, if you keep to my path, I will reveal to you the salvation of God. And I feel like the Lord has so much more for us and he wants us to grab it, but he wants us to thank him. That's what opens up the heavens. That's what helps us to see who he really is. You know, God's ability to save us is not limited to our sinfulness because, you know, he is long-suffering. He is patient. He, he endures over and over and over. I mean, I, I've been saying all week, it's like I read about the Israelites and, you know, how stupid the Israelites were, right? Am I right, Israelites? And I like to sit there and judge them, but, but I realize I am the Israelites. We are the Israelites, We do the same things. We like to think we don't, but we really do. We do the same things, but yet God is so faithful. 
he always extends grace. He extends mercy. He, it's like he, love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, always believes the best, always, you know, he's always wooing us. It's his kindness that, that brings us back. It's not him standing there going, it's about time, you loser. That is not God. That is not his heart. Um, Isaiah 59.1 says, The Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. And the thing is, there is so much hope that if you believe that, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is God, and that he was sacrificed on the cross for your sins, and that on the third day he rose again, and he overcame sin, death, the grave, hell, everything, so that you could know him, that you could be with him eternally. It says, if you believe in your heart, or if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be what? You shall be saved. It doesn't just mean just kind of, oh yeah, I kind of believe that. No, if you really believe he's Lord, you say, he is Lord. He is God. He is over all. And you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that is our hope. And if, you, if you've said something against the Holy Spirit or you've wondered about something, that is not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That is not the unpardonable sin. I, I had someone come up to me after first service and say, thank you for saying that because this whole time I questioned something one time and I thought I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. No, you haven't. If you feel any remorse about it, that's an indication that you haven't, that your, your conscience is still intact and that there is hope. And it is a terrible, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, the Bible says. I mean, God is to be revered. He is to be feared. But the worst thing, the worst sin you could possibly do is to continue to just reject God. And if he's drawing you today, and if he's wooing you today, and he's saying, come to me, receive my forgiveness, don't assume you have tomorrow. Don't assume, don't think, oh, I'm young. I'll, I'll, I'll do that later. You don't know. Don't assume anything. Today is a day of your salvation. If you're hearing his voice, do not neglect his word. If the Lord is speaking to you, saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's what he's saying. He wants you to come to him, not so that he can bash you over the head or call you names. He's, he wants you to come to him so he can wrap his loving arms around you. So I just urge you, if you don't know Jesus today, today is the day of your salvation. Do not say no anymore. That's, that's the sin. It's the sin of unbelief. It's the sin that says, I don't really believe this stuff. I don't really believe what the Bible says and God is urging you. He's urging you to su surrender and come to him so he can give you life. Could you stand please? Could I have the worship team come back? Um, I just want to ask you, is there a sin that you feel like it's too far that you're just, you're constantly being plagued or you're feeling like, you know what, I've done that same thing so many times that I think God's forgiveness has run out. If, if that's something that you're struggling with, we're going we're gonna to praise and, and the chains are going to be broken. 
I believe that it's in God's presence that, that the chains can be broken. And we're going to praise. And I want to ask, is there, an, is there an unforgivable sin that you feel like you can't forgive someone else for? And I just want to say, today is a day to confess that and invite the Holy Spirit to come in and, and give you a supernatural ability to forgive. And I, and I want to ask, are you going to heaven? If you were to die today on the way, on the way home, are you sure that you'd go to heaven? Do you know for sure? Have you invited Jesus to come and be the Lord of your life? If you haven't, today's the day. Today is the day. We're gonna pray right now. So Father, we come into your presence, Lord. We are so grateful for such a great salvation, Lord. We're so thankful for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we're thankful that we can know that we are going to heaven. We can know that we're saved. We just come before you, Lord, and we just confess our sins. Can we just all pray this together? If you've never prayed this prayer, if this is the first time, this is what we call the sinner's prayer. And we're all sinners. Everyone has sinned, every single one of us. But we're gonna pray this together. Everybody's gonna pray this together. Lord Jesus, we humble ourselves. We come before you with gratitude. We thank you for your forgiveness. We admit that we're sinners. Lord, we have fallen short of your glory. But we thank you that you are a gracious God. We bless you. We receive your forgiveness. Thank you for going to the cross for my sins. I give my heart to you. I give my life to you. And I surrender all. In Jesus' name, amen.